This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 64 of the DTV Digest. I'm your host, Mike Parkin, and joining me from the schlock pit this week is David Wayne. Hello. We are here to bring you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema and instead went to straight to DVD, Blu-ray and streaming media. And this week we've got four films to look at. We've got the rumble between uh, Steven Seagal and Mike Tyson in Tribal Warfare. We've got a Serbian oddity called Incar- uh, Incarnation. We've got uh, Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren together again in Blackwater, and we're going to round up with Jurassic Games. Uh, but before we get into all of that, let's go over to the DTV chart. Okay, it's the DTV chart, and uh, this week we've got eight entries in the um, top 100, and we're going to kick off at number eight. It's Jurassic Games. Well, we're not going to talk about that just yet. It's one of the featured uh, reviews on this week's episode. Number seven is Braven. Jason Momoa doing his cliffhanger shtick. Um, we all enjoy this, didn't we, Dave? We certainly did. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to watch it again pretty soon, to be honest, because uh, I think it's... Um, well, I've got a couple of copies in work. I think it might be one to bring home and uh, have it in my own puzzle collection, to be honest. Sure. So, yeah, I really did enjoy this uh, immensely. Yeah, I mean, it is in my collection as well as some of the... Films I opted to actually purchase rather than rent. Um, number six, Lego DC Superheroes: The Flash. I believe this is a re-entry because I think this has been out for quite a while. Yeah, well, we've just had um, half term, haven't we? So uh, it's probably a, uh, probably a knock-on effect of uh, the kiddies being off. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five is The Lost Viking. Now, this is a film we're going to be talking about in the washing up later on, so we'll skip right over to Rex. No, we won't. We'll skip right over to number three, Tremors, A Cold Day in Hell, hanging in there for, I th- believe, the third week running. Um, doing well in your shop, Dave? Yeah, but what it's doing is, uh, because this is the sixth chapter in the series, hmm. uh, I've had a couple of people uh, sort of... Uh, uh, binging our first five, so they've been renting the first five movies and gradually making their way into number six, which is great to see because yeah. I think I don't know. I know everyone loves the first Tremors, but I think probably the rest of the series are a little bit, a little bit maligned, a little mm. bit sort of shrugged aside. When uh, in actual fact, it's a fairly consistent series. I've, I must admit, I've only seen the first two, um, mm. but I'm definitely interested in seeing this. Um, I just haven't had a chance yet. Uh, number two is Batman Ninja. This is the Japanese anime version of Batman where he goes back to feudal Japan. Um, don't watch the English dub version because the voices are really horrible and don't really suit the characters. And at number one, nice to see um, Van Damme and Lundgren uh, in Blackwater. But again, we're going to be chatting about that one a little bit later on in the show. So that is the DTV chart this week. <laughs> It's time for the coming soon section, and this week we've got a paltry four trailers to um, talk about, uh, considering how many we sometimes get involved with. Uh, The first is a new um, Chinese entry called The Blizzard. Um, I must admit, I like the look of this trailer. Don't know much about the film itself or the you know the synopsis. Uh, IMDb just says um, that two best friends in the police academy 
Um, after witnessing his trusted friend escape after the murder of his father, uh, he embarks on a quest for bitter revenge that takes him from Harbin to Hainan, only to uncover an illicit relationship between his wife and his best friend. Okay, great. Um, great visuals in this, though. You know, this sort of um, snow-laden city um, going on. Like, I must admit, I do like the look of it. It looks a bit different. Yeah, it does. Um, they, they could have done with a bit of a, a grammar expert on the trailer, I think, <laughs> uh, because yeah, you know, the first sort of uh, on-screen um, the text is uh, "This is a ice city," mm. um, which is a slight typo. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, that's the thing with snow. Snow photographs so well, so yeah. it just is such an eye-catching sight. Um, first-time director. Yeah. I mean, it looks great. It looks like your typical. Far Eastern crime thriller. Um, very little info on IMDb apart from it. Obviously, it comes from uh, Chinese money. Yeah. Um, but but it looks fine. It looks looks uh, absolutely um, perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two. This is one I am interested in seeing. It's called Peppermint, um, starring Jennifer Garner. Um, this is basically a female version of The Punisher, where she sees her her husband and daughter being gunned down by sort of, um, some cartel. Um, they get off because of corrupt judges and police officers and things. So she, in a, in a nice sort of twist on the whole thing, uh, whereas usual, you know, we, we like Frank Castle, you know, he's utilizing his experience as a special ops Vietnam vet kind of thing, depending on which version you're watching. Of course, she doesn't have that background when, when the tragedy happens. So she disappears for five years and trains herself to be a badass who can take on all these people. Um, and I must admit, the, the image of the three bodies hanging from the Ferris wheel just that, that really did it for me. I thought, yes, I, can, mm-hmm. I, I must admit. Um, so I'm totally on board with this. Um, it, yeah, okay, yeah, you know, it's, it's not a lot we haven't seen before. Who cares if it's done well? Yeah, but it's, it's a well worn template that is, yeah. you know gets people very, very excited. Um, I mean, it's that one storyline that. People squeal in delight at this kind of thing. Uh, and why not? I mean, it's good fun. Uh, Pierre Morel is directing it, who I'm a big fan of. He did the amazing French film District 13, yep. um, as, as well as a couple of films. I know he did Taken, which I'm not mm. a fan of at all. Um, but he did a couple of films as well that I like, but people don't really seem to talk about them anymore. And that's um, okay. from, Par- from Paris with Love. Oh, yeah. Which yeah, I think is pretty cool, and also the Gunman with Sean Penn, okay. um, both of which I think are, are really decent thrillers that um, maybe got a little bit squashed by that strapline of you know from the director of Taken, uh, which obviously yeah. he'll carry with him carry with him to his grave. <laughs> um, it's written by Chad St. John, who wrote uh, London Has Fallen, so obviously got a bit of a pedigree in the screenplay stakes. And one of the things that I was um, Pretty impressive. It's starring Jennifer Garner. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like I'm being facetious, but Jennifer Garner probably hasn't carried a film, headlined a film since. I don't know. Um, so. Wow, what was that one? Yeah. Was it 21 again or something? 13 going on 30. Yeah, that was it. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that's a really bold bit of casting. I think she's perfect for it. She should be amazing. Yeah. But, you know, if you were to write maybe a top five of women to sort of uh, feature in this film, 
she might not be on that list, but uh, I certainly think she looks great. Yeah, she, I mean, she's got the pedigree for it. You know, she was in Alias mm. for for four seasons, and um, mm. yeah, and she was in the Kingdom as well, which which is yeah. I, I, th- I think is very underrated. Brilliant, um, no, very. Much. Yeah, so yeah, I, I'm I'm really happy to see her sort of doing doing a bit of action again. Uh, okay, so our next one, uh, we were just talking about Lego and DC. Um, it is a sort of fruitful thing for them, you know, like the um, like their animated series uh, or films. Uh, the, the Lego DC seems to be doing quite well. Uh, this is the Lego DC supervillains in which um, the Joker takes over Gotham City and uh, there's nary a superhero to be seen. This, it, it's it's incredibly manic. Um, for for an old codger like me sitting, you know, it's it, it's like being on a sugar rush. Um, that's just the trailer uh, for this, but it it has that sort of um, you know effervescent sort of humour that the sort of Lego movies have. So yeah, I'm I'm yeah you know, I don't hate it. That's for sure. It's it's certainly more palatable than the um, the younger sort of DC. Thing they did um, with the, the Supergirl, sort of the female superheroes, which was sort of more the sort of Monster High kind of thing that we looked at last time. Um, yeah, it's it's you know it's for the kids. What the hell? Yeah, and I'm glad I don't have any <laughs> because I, I I couldn't stomach this. Jesus Christ! Um, I, what what is it? It's just like you know, it's I've never seen anything Lego. Um, you know, themed. Uh, but yeah, I know Batman's meant to be amazing and very sort of um, geared towards grown-ups as well, but uh, I've never cast my eye upon a trailer or, or the film, nor the um, animated spin-offs that, that, that come come with it, um, including the one that's in the chart at the moment. But this was... Gee, I mean, this was my first exposure to anything Lego-branded, be it DC or otherwise. And yeah, I, I must admit, um, it was one of those... 90 second trailers that I'm thinking, yeah, I'm glad I'm not part of this. This is, this is fine. <laughs> My life is fine without this. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, there's a market for it and a very, um, a very, uh, lucrative one of that. So, you know, fair, mm-hmm. fair play. Uh, the last trailer we're going to look at this week is called Damascus Cover, starring Jonathan Rhys Myers. Another name is going to pop up later on in the washing up. Um, in this one, he plays some sort of super spy sent to salvage a mission which has gone wrong where everyone's cover has been blown. Um, this sent me to sleep, unfortunately. I don't know about you, Dave. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't fall asleep because Jonathan Reese Myers is in it. Sure. Um, because I I, um, I think I was I was a teenager and I saw Velvet Goldmine for the first time, oh. which is one of my favorite films. Um, I've just I've just been writing about Velvet Goldmine for the thing I was talking about earlier, which. Um, Thankfully, let me revisit it one more time for about the you know, 16th occasion. Mm. Um, Jonathan Rhys Meyers, one of those guys that uh, exploded onto the scene in the late 90s. Um, I don't know he's done TV work like the Tudors and, and Vikings and that, mm. but he never really became the star that he should have been because I think he's a brilliant actor. Uh, and the fact that um, he's in this sort of piqued my interest immediately. Um, John Hurt is here as well, uh, which is good to see. Probably his last role. I would have thought. Uh, based on Howard Kaplan's book, um, it does say at the end of the trailer in theatres this summer. I really doubt that. <laughs> um, because I, in, I can't in a theatre somewhere, yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, no one's going to pay, you know, 15 quid to see this film. Uh, 
I, I like the look of it personally, but it's going to be a real niche kind of thing. It'll pop up on Netflix, no doubt, so this autumn. Um, interestingly enough, the director is uh, Daniel Burke, who hasn't directed a film in 19 years. Wow. Uh, the last film, the only film he directed prior to this, was the second sequel to the Stephen King-themed uh, movie, Sometimes They Come Back. Oh, I was which... going to say that, yeah. Yeah, Sometimes They Come Back for Again. more. Yeah. <laughs> Again with the second one. Oh, that's all right. Okay. Was the third one, yeah, so, uh, which I kind of liked, but weird. Weird for, you know, this guy to not really be hmm. in the director's chair for 19 years and then suddenly get quite a prestigious gig, you know, with, with one DTV sequel in, in his CV. I don't know. Hollywood moves in mysterious ways. It sure does. Anyway, that is our coming soons for this week. Our first review this week is Tribal Warfare. Uh, in this one, a young Chinese IT engineer called Yan Jian is working in a North African country which has just been hit by, or just getting over a civil war, uh, and is trying to win a big telecommunications contract for his, uh, for his company. Um, in the meantime, one of his competitors is trying to stir up the civil war again by convincing a local warlord, played by Mike Tyson, to um, kick off and and um, sort of start killing people. Uh, in the middle of all this is Steven Seagal for some reason. Um, and I'm not really sure why, but we'll get into that. So this is a very strange film um, that has been marketed very strangely in the UK. They, they've hooked on to the fact that it's got Mike Tyson and Steven Seagal in it. They do get into a pretty decent entertaining fight at the beginning of the film and they're never sp- um, share screen time again afterwards, which is a shame. Um, the fight is actually worth hanging around for. It is worth seeing. The rest of the film, not so much, unfortunately. Um, you know, th- th- this is just a very, very strange film. That sort is it's one of those films that we get every now and again, like Diamond Cartel or like um, The Code of Cain. You know, it, it is definitely sort of one of those kind of films it's just too strange for words really um so steven seagal in this he starts off seemingly as uh, the owner of a bar um that has this fight in it later on it turns out that he might or might not be some sort of cia covert operative as well you know it gets to a point where you're thinking what why is steven seagal taking covert photographs of the guy across the street when when he's been mopping up sort of beer and piss for you know the first half of the film um this is one of those films that spends a lot of time in front of computer screens and people sort of spouting jargon about god knows what um it seems to be trying to ape the success of wolf warrior 2 by setting it in north africa um you know there there is a bit of hardware on show there there are some nice sort of little fights here and there but Overall, it's just like, why does this film exist? You know, really, is is it literally that somebody had some spare millions to sort of dump the back of the sofa and needed to get rid of it? It's um, yeah, it's it's weird. It's directed by a first-time director, Tan Bing. You know, he doesn't have any other credits to his name. Um, and and I think you're going somewhere when when you have to say that Mike Tyson is actually the best thing in the film. Full stop. You know, he acts every he acts everyone else off the screen. 
<laughs> Mike Tyson. You know. Did you just say that? Really? No, I, I, I thought I might have. No, yeah. I did. And, and I've said it for prosperity as well. But um, that's the thing about Mike Tyson, you know. I mean, when, when he was in things like The Hangover, you know, it was a, it was a joke. True. It was like, yeah, oh, yeah, the, you know, stunt casting, they got Mike Tyson in, haha, he's playing himself. But then he went off and did Ip Man 3 mm-hmm. with Donnie Yen. Um, and again, I suppose you could sort of say, mm, okay, you know. But he, he actually sort of had a proper role in that film. Yeah, and then he turned up in Kickboxer, Reta- uh, um, yeah, kick- Kickboxer Retaliation, had a good good few scenes in there, and now he's in this, and you know he's playing this sort of warlord who's who's got um, a real sort of chip on his shoulder with with the current regime because he he's been tricked into thinking that um, they assassinated his chieftain or something like that, um, so he's on the warpath, and yeah, he, you know he's he's a real presence in the film, uh, which is. Weird, it really is, you know. And the fight he gets with Segal is is actually pretty decent, you know. He's um, he he's got a particular fighting style. Obviously, he's, you know, he's using his fist, nothing else, and um, you know. But he, he's obviously learnt the craft. You know, he knows how to screen fight. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a weird one. I did I did not get this info work. The last um, few Steven Segal films have completely bombed. Haven't they? And, and work in, and I mean, I used to have a hardcore uh, Seagull clientele, you know, no pun intended. Um, but, you know, I think, I mean, looking through, oh, I did get Sniper Special Ops in, uh, but no one rented it. And no one rented the uh, Asian connection. You may say, thankfully. Um, you know, I have a business to maintain. Um, but, you know, pretty much since, I'd say, Black Dawn, Today You Die, we're talking 10 years, over a decade. Mm. I mean, people I used to get, and I used to announce I would have a a board in the store, you know, back in the old days, where we'd have, like, what's coming soon. And people would spot a cigar film coming in, even in the early noughties, like Mm. The Foreigner and um, Half Past Dead and stuff like that. And and they'd be saying, well, I I I need to reserve that day one. And you get someone reserving a day two, and you pretty much have your money back by the end of the week. Yeah. Um, but it, it's frightening. I mean, even looking at this film on IMDb, I mean, I mean, no one's touched it. It's got 350 user votes, which is nothing. I mean, some some DTV movies that never get seen by anyone get more than 350 user, user um, votes. That's so weird. it's weird. Mm. It's what would you say his screen time is overall? Um, what's the girls? Yeah, five five minutes tops. Oh really? Um, maybe a bit more. He, I I must admit, after the fight, because he here's a bit of a spoiler. Cigar loses the fight. I know <laughs> he actually loses. I mean, that's only happened like twice before in his whole career. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And one of those is a Korean movie which has never been been released in um, the US or UK for that <laughs> matter. And, and and the other one was uh, Machete, where he commit suicide. Oh, of course. That's right, that's but, right. But yeah, that's the only two times he's ever sort of actually lost. Um which is which is really weird. So yeah, he has this this, this really cool fight. And then I thought, okay, well that must be it then for him. Um but that, then he starts turning up in a few scenes where he's like spying on the main Chinese guy. Um and then um then you find out he's doing some sort of back deals of his own and he actually helps out the Chinese guy at one point. You know, but you just don't know what what his what his agenda is or anything. It's just weird. Yeah, 
Who can we sell this to? Who's, who's it appealing to? I'm sure maybe cigar aficionados, Tyson guys, um, I'd, I'd Asian say, cinema people? In, uh, not, I wouldn't say the Asian cinema people either because no. 90% of the film is in English. Right. Badly, you know, because obviously the main guy in it, um, you know, I don't know if he's done the thing of learning his lines phonetically. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Li Dongzhu. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 I almost had to put the subtitles on just to sort of try and work out right. what he was saying at times. Um, yeah, no, it's it's just weird. It really is. I, I definitely put it in the same bracket as Diamond Cartel and Code of Kings. Mm-hmm. It's one of those films. Uh, it's got, you know, it's, it's got competent action in it at times. Um, yeah. You know, some good sort of scraps and car chases, you know, chases by tanks and things going on. Some of it looks cheap, but some of it looks pretty decent. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, what, what happens is that, you know, because um, he wants to kick off the Civil War, he destroys all of this telecommunications equipment so they can't, so the north side of the country can't talk to the south side. Mm. And of course, that's when our Chinese salesman goes, "Oh, I I can fix this for you." You know, so he's going all over the country, sort of trying to fix these um, telecommunication towers. While you know, sort of rebels are trying to destroy them. Um, Mm. But yeah, it's it's just weird, and it's way too long. It gets to the point where um, you know you you think they've they've won, and you look at the screen time; there's still half an hour to go. Jesus, where where, where are you going with this now? (laughs) No, it's. um, it's a struggle, that's for sure. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those films. I, I mean, I know Rich is going to check it out because he's a he's a Seagal completist, so you know he's he's obliged to see it if nothing else. Um, and, and the fight's not bad, you know. I mean, there, there are stunt doubles for for Seagal and stuff like that in there. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's 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 not. I, I wish it was a different film. I, I, I wish there was a bit more to it. Yeah, uh, it, you know, it's it's not it's not there at all. It's a shame. It is, yeah. It's it's an oddity, you know. That's that's basically what it is. So on that note, I'm gonna give this a four out of ten. Ooh. So that's pretty low for me. Our second film this week is Incarnation. This is a Serbian film in which, in the middle of a square in an unknown unknown city, a man wakes up with no memory of who he is or why he's there. Seconds later, some men in white masks turn up and shoot him dead, only for him to wake up and the whole cycle start again. Um, Each time uh, he, he gets shot and wakes up again, he is able to add a little bit more to the puzzle of why he's there, who he could be, um, and so it goes on. Um, Dave, what did you make of this? Um, it falls into that sort of banner, um, that bracket rather, of films that you really, really want to like. Because we said when we um, did the washing up mm. uh, two weeks ago, we said, oh, this looks fantastic, looks really cool. Because yeah. I know we're both fans of time crimes and, and movies like that. And, yeah. Uh, but I, I just, I didn't like it. I really struggled with this it was it was even one of those where i started watching late at night and i could feel myself going so i thought right let's stop it and i started it again fresh the next day um but even then i really really struggled to to get a grip with it um it's a strange film um and i think i've put my finger on why i didn't like it um 
I had a premiere at Raindance uh, a couple of years ago now, back in 2016. Yeah. I was reading a few interesting pieces with the uh, director, who is uh, Philip Kovacevic. Um, interesting guy, self-taught filmmaker, who graduated in theoretical maths from Belgrade uh-huh. University. Um, and the fact that he graduated in that subject sort of translates to why I didn't really like the movie. It felt very uh, mathematical, for want of a better word. Hmm. There was um, just that lack of fluidity, that lack of artistic freedom. It seemed very, uh, very tightly orchestrated, which seemed to me had the knock-on effect of being a little bit not predictable, but just I couldn't, I couldn't resonate. It didn't resonate with me, and I couldn't, um, I didn't find myself, you know, falling in love with it because the director stated that he wanted it to be an introspective story where the protagonist seeks a deeper meaning for his existence, and that is kind of a, a few levels above. Yeah. Maybe where I want to go with most of the films that I watch. Absolutely. I'm not looking, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not stupid. I'm not looking for like a dumbass film that's going to, uh, um, you know, not test my brain. But yeah, this didn't seem to reach that kind of elevation. No. But, you know, having said that, there was still a lot of good things about it. I mean, you know, he's a 29 year old director. Um, just the Belgrade itself, where it was shot. I mean, it looked great. It, it could, the thing is, it, 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 it went far more, far more, that doesn't make sense, but it made, it went far beyond the, uh, sort of being a Serbian hmm. set film. I mean, that, that, where, where he was, that could have been any metropolitan centre in Europe. Um, so it really did go beyond that. It was a fairly intimidating beginning. I mean, the guys, the hitmen were so, uh, you know, and, and these anonymous masks, they were certainly a, a bizarre creation. Yeah. Um, but it was a sort of bewildering nature about it, uh, almost like a video game in some respects. Um, I mean, obviously the intrigue lies in the revelation that he keeps on waking up and he has different places in which to run. Not like many of these films are full of the same variation, whereby they have to take the same path every day. I mean, it's the classic scene in Groundhog Day, isn't it? We got Ned Ryerson mocking Bumber in the background as Bumber steps into the puddle every single day. Um, so that was the, that was the intri- intriguing bit to this film in that he could go in various, various different directions, which then did, you know, coming back to my point that I made a few seconds ago, it did feel like a video game in some respects. Mm-hmm. And it was like controlling a character and, you know, dying, being killed off and then starting the level again and trying to reach somewhere else. Um, I mean, you know, maybe I'm not the best person to criticize for a monotone voice, but the monotone narration of the lead guy did become a little bit dull. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking in very hushed tones and very monosyllabic short sentences and stop, full stop, you know, carry on a little bit, stop. and then, uh. So, um, yeah, it was just a patience tester. Um, I mean, did it engage me? Yeah, it did. I mean, it was only 82 minutes long. It's not like it was a, a long drawn out thing, but was I gripped? Not really. Um, and then of course, I mean, I don't know how far you want to, 
delve into the ending. Mm. But some of those films that when the credits rolled, I just didn't feel a pang of satisfaction and I didn't feel any element of, um, you know, pleasure at reaching the end and thinking, yes, mm. yes, I'm glad I stayed with that. I've found the meaning of that film and it's really sort of uh, enhanced my life in some way because I really don't think, didn't think it did. And uh, yeah, as I said at the start, just a bit of a disappointment. It took me four, no, three or four attempts to finish this film. Oh, really? Um, I, I mean, I love the premise of it and I love the trailer, you know, and, and it starts brilliantly because the way it's directed um, and, and the, you know, the way the camera's placed, so you get these nice long shots of like the street, yeah. you know, the busting street, and then you can pick out the, the guys in the white mask as they're sort of making their way towards this location, you know, each time. It, it's, it's really well done. Um, but the trouble is the film just doesn't go anywhere with the premise. It, you know, it, it takes the whole length of time. And then when you get to the end of it, you're like, I actually rewound it. You know, when it yeah. got to the end, I was like, what, what, hang on, what, what mm. just happened? You know, it took me four, at least three attempts. Mm. I kept falling asleep. Um, you know, I got halfway through it the first time, then another 20 minutes. And then today, I got to the end and I must have just dozed <laughs> off in that last few minutes because mm. I, I opened my eyes and the credits were rolling. And I was like, shit, what actually happened? And I sort of rewound it and I was like, is that it? Is that, is that, you know, is that the revelation? Mm. Is that... And again, it doesn't really sort of explain anything really. Um, but it is, you know, it's actually nicely shot. I mean, on a technical level, I think it, oh, works, yeah. it works really well. Um, there's, a, there's a sequence, uh, sorry to interrupt, Mike, there's a sequence where he's in a field yeah. and you've got lightning in the distance and you're thinking, damn, you know, this looks really good. I mean, it's a $350,000 budget. It's nothing mega. But this, uh, some of the sequences looked absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that scene you're saying, you know, the, the, um, when, it, when it's... When, when the guys in the mask finally turn up and they just sort of standing mm. on the hills, you know, as he's, mm. as he's looking around, you know, um, absolutely great. Um, so on that level, it's, it's great. It's just the script, unfortunately. Um, it, you know, it's got a great premise, but it hasn't got an answer to back it up. Yeah. You know, yeah. it hasn't, hasn't, there's nothing behind it to sort of really hang on, which is a real shame. But, you know, if this guy, you know, it wasn't. It? Yeah, he's one, he was one of the writers on this. Um, him, um, Massa Sinichik, and somebody else, um, even Stanchik, were the were the, um, the writers on this. Um, you know, maybe I don't know. Maybe that's just a Serbian thing. Who knows? But it just needs just needs more than just a, a, an interesting premise. It needs it needs a good hook to go behind it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a curiosity factor. You know, it's 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 very well made. It just needs a better story. Is mm. is, is really what it comes down to. Um, so, how are you going to score this, uh, Dave? Um, it's going to be pretty low. I mean, mm. as you know, and as I mentioned twenty thousand times on the show before, massive fan of Matchbox films, and they really pick up. They pick up such ambitious acquisitions. Some films that other labels wouldn't touch, hmm. and no other label would touch this. So credit to them for getting it. But I think this is a very rare misfire, and I'm going to give it a four out of ten. Right. Um, I think I'm going to give it a four and a half because this is 
you know, technically this is a lot better than China salesman, that's for sure. Um, yeah, true, true. So, so I've got to, you know, on, on in comparison on today's show, um, I'll, I'm going to go for a four and a half for Incarnation. Our next review this week is Black Water. In this one, Jean-Claude Van Damme is a deep cover operative who, after some weird shenanigans on land, finds himself in a um, a sort of black ops black site uh, being held on a submarine of all places where he's been interrogated by the CIA and God knows who else. Um, lots of double-crossing shenanigans going on, lots of people sort of walking around, and also we've got Dolph Lundgren in the mix as well. Um, Dave, what do you make of this one? Yeah, this had sort of the flip side effect of um, uh, the last one, um, mm. Incarnation, whereby I, <laughs> I kind of left this till the last minute. Uh, I left mm. it till this morning. Uh, I've been in work all week, but I just couldn't face it. I thought, oh, Jesus, uh, you know, pensionable old guys, you know, do action mm. stuff and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I truly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, because it was great. I mean, I'm, I'm going to yeah. go off a tangent for a second. Uh, I'm going to speak about Chad Law. Uh, Chad Law wrote this film. Yeah. Uh, he usually works with his brother. Uh, he, he's, like, really, for the last 10 years, he's done some amazing director video films. Uh, it's like a, almost like a beginner's guide. If you want to do DTV action for the last 10 years, check out Chad Law on IMDb, and then just take the first 10 films from his CV, and you will be in, in DTV action heaven. Stuff like Hero Wanted, uh, The Hit List. Daylight Sins, Jarhead 3, The Sins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All, these, all these great William Kaufman films. Mm, that's right. Uh, you know, that, that, that terrible but brilliant Brian Trench- Trenchard Smith film, Drive Hard with John Cusack. Uh, and also The Shadow oh Effect. Oh, God. Is, is that the one set in South Africa? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember that one. Um, yeah. And, and uh, The Shadow Effect with Jonathan Reese Myers, which we mm-hmm. shan't mention again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Blackwater was fantastic. I really did like it. I mean, I must admit, I do have a, a, a weakness for um, close spaces. Uh, you know, these kind of claustrophobia set movies, be it in submarines, be it in airplanes, be it in the optic circle. Anyway, that's the main <laughs> trouble with this film, though, is it isn't claustrophobic. That's, uh, you know, that's the one thing against it, is that, um, they're clearly not on a submarine at all. No, 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 no. no. You're, nit- <laughs> you're nitpicking, mate. You're nitpicking. <laughs> I, I know it's, it's the biggest submarine known to man. It's, it's, it's a four floor submarine of, uh, you know, of skyscraper proportions, but that's irrelevant. The fact is, it's on a submarine. Unlike the great DTV submarine movies of the past, be it things like Below, the David Troy film, uh, Submerged, the Anthony Hickok's film with that guy Seagal, or maybe something like Countermeasures, mm-hmm. which was um, with uh, Dudikoff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these, these are great films, and it easily belongs in that bracket. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, really liked it. It's, it's um, it almost felt like it belonged to another era. It didn't seem. I mean, inject a bit of Botox in these faces, and it could have been done in 1993. Uh, I thought it was that kind of, uh, you know, lately we, we, DTV has gone, action has gone a little bit 
uh, there's been no real sort of um, predictability to it. Back in the 90s, you know what you were going to get. You were going to get a film with a, a submarine or a plane or or massive explosions, things like that. And, you know, this seems to have delivered uh, yeah. in that respect. One of the things that I really did like about it was uh, the return. I know he hasn't been away, but the return of Patrick Kilpatrick, yeah. who is one of my favorite direct-to-video actors of all time. You know, he's brilliant stuff like, um, yeah, those films I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. Um, so great to see him again. He was great in this film as well. Um, Al Sapienza as well had a great mm-hmm. uh, role in this veteran TV actor from uh, the thousands of, of places. I mean, obviously, some people are going to, Pick of these. Oh, that's right. Um, Patrick Kilpatrick was, I think this is his first role with Van Damme since um, Death Warrants. That's a a real 28 year period there. Um, Yeah, I mean, some people are going to have a go at this film for maybe maybe the first half. I mean, the first 40 minutes are pretty laid back um, and nothing really explodes into life until the 40 minute mark. Um, But that didn't really bother me because, as I say, Kilpatrick was on screen most of the time. And Van Damme seemed to have this interesting history that sort of uh, was enough of a lure to sort of um, compel you into watching it. Maybe one slight drawback or two slight drawbacks was that I felt Dolph was a bit too much of a, of a um, I don't know, just he wasn't really integrated until mm-hmm. about 70 minutes. And yeah. those early shots just seemed like, inserts just for the sake of inserting him into the film just to remind us that he was there and uh, also perhaps the final face-off was a little bit too drawn out where it could have been tidied up a far um far amount quicker than, mm. than it was but other than that this was a real pleasant surprise and one that i didn't expect i i i must admit i really like this funny enough way back when uh in the coming soon section we had this and uh kill em all all right. On the same week, and Kill 'em All. If anyone's seen it, will know it's a dreadful film. It really yeah. is. But but from a trailer point of view, it looked the better of the two at the time. Um, but how how wrong we were. Um, I I like the opening sort of twenty minutes of this. It's sort of yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's it shows Van Damme's character as this sort of um, you know sort of very experienced but very hard bitten sort of agent, you know, can't trust anyone sort of thing. Um, getting this sort of pretty decent sort of gunfight and um, sort of car chase and things like that going on. Um, but then when you get onto the, sh- the the submarine as well, mm-hmm. it, this is what I liked about the script, is that it introduced so many characters and, you know, they sort of very, very clearly identified these mm-hmm. different f- possible factions. Because on on the submarine, you've got the crew that has to actually um, sail the sub. Yeah. Then then there's a crew of special forces guys who are there to keep an eye on the prisoners. Then you got um, this agent Rhodes comes on with two agents as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, and so you got these different factions all over the place. It's it's it was really good, and you can see the way it was going to sort of set up and things. Um, so yeah, no, I I thoroughly enjoyed this. It's as I said, I just wish they could have done something with it with the actual setting. Yeah. Uh, um, just just to make it a little bit more authentic, because mm. it, it is you know you think yeah this supposed to be a submarine it it's, it looks more like you're in a warehouse you know running <laughs> down corridors. Um, 
but other than that, it's um, yeah, it's definitely a winner. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also yeah. like the fact that um, Van Dam, sorry, Van Dam, um, Dolph Lundgren's character, he's actually playing a German. Um, Special yeah. agent. He's playing a yeah. German special agent. He's obviously been picked up by the CIA and like, well, we can't kill him. We can't let him go. So we'll just lock him up. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's good. Yeah, it's, it's just definitely definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I mean the the, the guy that directed a guy called Pasha Patriki, hmm. but he's got a massive career in in um, cinematography. This is this is his uh, um, debut film as a director. But I think he did a a really decent job to be honest um, yeah. I think it cost about four, $4 million to make um, shot in Canada no shot sorry shot, shot in Alabama with uh, Canadian money and it was filmed uh, last January February um, but yeah on the whole I really did like this uh, I'd probably give it maybe maybe six and a half mm-hmm. yeah I'll give it six so yeah definitely definitely one worth checking out it's um, yeah if, you, if, you, if you've been put off by with Van Damme because you've seen Kill em All um, don't you know? And th- there's more Dolph in this than there is in um, Welcome to Willits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Um, yep, yeah, six and a six and a half for Blackwater. Our final review this week is the Jurassic Games. Set in a near dystopian future, uh, 10 death row convicts are forced to compete in a virtual reality game that pits them against dinosaurs and each other. Among the 10 is a guy called Tucker, who has always professed his innocence um, and is looking to be the sole survivor who will win his freedom. Um, So this is directed by a guy called Ryan Belgart who we've talked about before because he did um, The Gremlin's Curse, or Gremlin, uh, a film that we both liked, but I particularly hated the um, the main cast in that, or um, sort of the main male lead. Uh, I'm much more amenable to the cast this time round, and again, he showed himself to be quite adept with, um, with working with special effects. Uh, Dave, how did you find this? Yeah, it was... I mean, on the face of it, let, you know, let, let's, let's have a look at this. You know, you pick up the box and what do you imagine you're going to get? Um, part of you says a silent movie. Mm-hmm. Um, part of you says just a really dodgy sci-fi film. And it is far, far above those two um, types of yeah. features. Um, is it good? Uh, it's good fun. Yeah. It's good fun, and I think I'd probably leave it at that, to be honest. We can't really scratch the surface too too much. I mean, there's always a piece of me that really has an issue with the way these films are created. Um, I mean, Belgart himself has admitted that this was made with a specific purpose of tying in with Jurassic World. Um I mean, it, it's it's not it's not tying into Jurassic World in any way. It, it's just putting Jurassic in a title and hoping that stupid people buy it. Really, you know, without being too too <laughs> bullish about it. But that's what it is. The intention is by film companies to put films with similar titles on the shelf in prominent places, maybe supermarkets, and hope that people think, "Ooh, Jurassic something. This must be a Steven Spielberg film." And they take it home and, and cry when they realize what they spent. <laughs> but, you know, to, to those people like us and the ones listening to this program, you know, we, we do tend to approach this with a degree of cynicism and uh, reality 
of the fact of, of what we're actually about to endure. Um, yeah, so I had the cynicism whereby it was created purely to uh, ride on the coattails of uh, Spielberg's film. But um, I was quite pleased that Belgard admitted that uh, he actually wore out his dad's copy of uh, The Running Man on VHS when he was a kid, uh, which I thought was a rather cool thing to say. Um, he also noted that he has a background in broadcasting and advertising, so that really influenced the way the, the screenplay went. Um, and it was quite a cool little screenplay, the way it was uh, sort of a riff on the whole reality TV aspect. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we, we can bring to mind films like The, the Condemned and even to some extent Battle Royale, but um, this, this had a new spin on things. Um, you know, there's a, the real, real kind of sci-fi ambition there, considering the virtual reality nature of it. Um, it was a cool concept with these, these 10 contestants. Um, it, was, it was a bit weird seeing, like, um, uh, for example, I had um, the people, friends and family, watching the show on TV. Yeah. And, like, I saw the kids watching their dad uh, who, of course, was falsely possibly convicted of uh, killing their their mother. And that was a bit weird, the fact they were watching this on TV. Um, I was thinking, well, yeah, is this really stuff that kids should be watching? Um, but I also like that, the, the, again, to, to say the same word again, cynical, the cynical way in which the production team were coordinating and manufacturing the direction of where they wanted to sit, where they wanted this thing to go, because that's such yeah. a cool sort of um, that's such a cool thing about reality TV, in the way that most people that watch them think are completely bought in by the concept, whether it be Big Brother or Love Island or whatever we have over here. Uh, you know, people will watch these and take them very matter of factly, and think, well, this is happening because these two people are doing this kind of thing. And they miss out that production angle completely. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of these shows are so tightly orchestrated, uh, and falsely so, falsely so, whereby they're just, um, they're, they're almost non-reality shows mm -hmm. in the way that they're, they're so scripted to some degree. Um, so I did like that aspect of it as well. The only issues I had, I mean, it's 75 minutes, it's no time at all, it's an hour and a quarter. And with 10 contestants, and supporting characters, you never really get time to get close to majority of people. Mm. One or two. Even, two. even yeah, even the person who was supposed to be rooting for, which is um, Tucker, you know. Yeah. Um, a lot of his sort of backstory is, is done via exposition. I mean, uh, from from other characters, mm. which is a shame. So, so we don't really sort of get a, a lot about him. It's interesting what you're saying about the sort of the, the whole um, convoluted nature of. Um, reality TV. My dad pointed out one where I think it was on, I don't know, one of these sort of storage hunters or something. Yeah. And two two of the characters are in a major argument, sort of really sort of getting into it. And then it cuts to an advert break, and then it comes back, and they sort of redo, the, basically yeah. redo the advert from a different angle. <laughs> you know, it's, it's basically yeah. they stopped, cut. So okay, they set set up again, but do it from a different angle. So yeah, all that sort of stuff. And again, you know, it's like any of these sort of um, yeah, yeah. Um, series where you know renovating houses or something, and somebody opens the door, and it, obviously there's a camera crew sort of stood behind them, so, so they yeah. can welcome people in and things like this. Exactly. Um, 
the, the, the best moment in this film um, mm. is they obviously sort of take the fact that yes, these are these are in my inmates on death row. And mm. this is their execution, you know. So nine nine out of ten are going to get executed. Yeah. So they have to have the panel of you know twelve witnesses, um, who have to sort of be there to to bear witness to the execution, mm. um, which I thought was a nice touch. And even better after the um, the cannibal guy dies, mm-hmm. it cuts to it, um, it cuts back to the sort of the main compare, and he's sort of interviewing one of the the witnesses. And she's mm. sort of in tears because, you know, she's going, yeah, this, this guy killed my father or something. I'll finally mm. get some sort of closure to the whole thing, you know. And then you find out that it's all bullshit. She's just an actress, you know. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's so cynical, um, but, but probably really true to life at the same time. Um, well, that's it. As, as long as you can read the cynicism in it, there's a lot to get out of the film. And, and you said about the compare there. Um, who was it? It was Ryan Merriman, wasn't it, who was playing the compare? And he said at the time that he's going to play like a sort of evil Ryan Seacrest, which yes. if, if, you've, if you've ever encountered Ryan Seacrest in your life, you know, there's someone primed for, you know, um, a, you know a, a bad horror movie or, you know, a, a TV horror movie and, and, you know, being taken a piss out of really because he is sort of a, a bizarre caricature of a gentleman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just really liked it. I like the sort of, you know, the, the sort of game show nature of it. So, you know, it's a bit, Sort of Running Man slash Crystal Maze slash the Condemned kind of thing going on. Um, what, what, one thing I did like as well was um, in in that final challenge the way that Tucker came across the key. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought that's right. That was pretty cool. Um, yeah, no, it, it mostly works. Mm. It, it mostly works. Um, you know, it's it's only in in the closing sort of bit that it sort of stumbles a little bit. Yeah, uh, there's a certain action a character takes, which um, it just sort of throws everything that Tucker's gone through just into, you know, it's like, well, why bother? <laughs> um, which is a bit annoying. But yeah. yeah, no, this is you know, it's it's a lot better than most people are going to give it credit for. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, check out the trailer. You know, don't worry about the special effects too much. They're not bad, you know. I mean, we're not talking Spielberg or you know, anyone like that, but at the same time, you know, they do move around and actually do stuff. I mean, I think the only really dodgy one was was these sort of giant wood lice things, yeah, that yeah. turned up that was pretty poor, but but the rest of it works really well, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Awesome. I, just sorry, like, um, scores on the doors, probably, yeah. probably gonna. Uh, I'd say a five, but in saying a five, I'm actually going to recommend a really good variation on the subject, which mm. is a brilliant, brilliant film from 2001 called Slashes. Uh, it's directed by a guy called Morris Devereaux, a Canadian shot film. And it's, it's a game show. It's a horror film where it's based in a game show, six contestants, and they need to survive against things like evil clowns and really heinous horror themed villains guy with a chainsaw etc etc mad doctor with a knife um so it, it's it's like jurassic games but it's in a horror setting and a game show setting and that that's a very very cool film at all uh very very cool film indeed but yeah with this i'm gonna go for a five far far better than i expected mm-hmm. and um yeah tough one to recommend but yeah, I think it, 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 it's a keeper. It's a keeper, I reckon. Yeah. 
I'm going to bump it up. I'm going to give it a five and a half. Um, so I think this week, Blackwater comes out on top, followed by this, followed by Incarnation, and then um, scraping the bottom of the barrel is Tribal Warfare. So a five and a five and a half for um, the Jurassic Games. <laughs> It's time for the last part of the show, so it's down to me and Dave to get on with the washing up. And we're going to kick off with Birth of the Dragon. Uh, this is a much maligned film. Um, it is a kind of a biopic about Bruce Lee, um, who found himself uh, in a duel with a, um, a Shaolin master called Wong Jack Man. Uh, it's a very infamous uh, incident because only a handful of people actually got to see it, and not the you know the um, the accounts of it while um, differ very greatly. Uh, some people say it was like over in minutes, others saying it went on for you know hours or something silly like this. Um, the film itself actually sort of kind of sidelines Bruce Lee, which is really weird, you know. Um, and instead, it has a white protagonist played by, um, I think, it's, yeah, Billy Magnuson plays a character called Steve McKee, who's uh, you know supposedly based on Steve McQueen, um, and it portrays when when it does have Bruce in it, it portrays him as incredibly arrogant. Um, you know, he was a showman and he was very, you know, has a lot of self confidence, but the way the film shows it is, it is he's very sort of self aggrandizing and, um, you know, full of himself. And, mm. you know, it, and it doesn't, it doesn't sit well. There, there are two very good fight sequences. You know, the actual duel itself actually comes across really well. And then there's a really good sequence at the end, um, which is more of a sort of knockabout, sort of Hong Kong action movie kind of scenario. Um, so those two sequences actually do work well, but the rest of it is pretty, you know, it, it just sticks in the throat. It, it's, it's, it's weird. It really is. And if you want to know how weird it, it was, um, check out the early trailer of the film. Uh, it went to a film festival late last year or early last year, and, um, you know, everyone hated it. So they went away and re-edited it. Um, in sort of really cut down Billy Magnuson's character, but he still comes across as the lead. Mm. Um, it is a very strange one. Have you had a chance to see it, Dave? No, not at all. I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy it tomorrow, to be honest. I've been reading some of these reviews and they're absolutely stinking. I mean, mm. for example, Scout the Fire at um, RogerEbert.com said it's a preposterous screenwriting for dummies exercise directed with all the flair of a mid 90s tourism video. Uh, I mean, it, it's been absolutely hung, drawn and quartered. I mean, so are some of the comments from people threatening to cancel their Netflix subscription if mm -hmm. Netflix pick it up for distribution. You know, it's, it's, it's been met with such disdain and um, well, from reading a little bit about it, rightfully so, it seems like a, yeah. a real cash-in on, on the good man's name. Well, if you, if, you, if you can imagine this sort of scenario, you know, you know um, The Karate Kid, for mm. example, if you take that scenario where you've got the new guy turning up, you know, he knows a bit of martial arts, but then, you know, this other kid finds out that he knows about martial arts and he knows even more martial arts than him. So he starts mm. picking on him and challenging yeah. to a duel and all this sort of stuff. That's this film, except mm. Bruce Lee's the bully. 
Right. You know, you've got one Jack man turning up who wants to atone for something that he did. Um, and Bruce just takes it like, oh, that must mean he's here to challenge me because I'm teaching mm. teaching white guys how to do Kung Fu. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as if it's all about him sort of thing, you know. It's crazy. Um, yeah, it, it, it's weird. It's, it's it's a weird situation. Yeah, take take the Karate Kid and then make, make Bruce play the, um, the bad guy, the Kung mm. Kai guy. Very strange. Anyway, let's move on. Um, the next one coming out this week is Antonio Banderas in Black Butterfly alongside um, Jonathan Reese Myers again. Uh, in this one, uh, Banderas plays a reclusive author who ends up um, allowing a stranger to lodge with him and instantly regretting it because he may or may not be a serial killer who's been offing people in the neighborhood. Um, I think this looks pretty good. Um, we, we reviewed the trailer of it a while ago. Um, it's taken taken quite a while to come out, but um, yeah, this could this could be one of those ones which just sort of bubbles over, you know. It's, it's, it simmers along, I think. Yeah, did you, did you say Jonathan Rhys Meyers was in this film? Hmm, yes. I'm intrigued. Um, <laughs> it was based on the French film from 2008 called Papillon Noir. Oh. Um, so it's it's not a wholly original piece of work. Um, mm. Little bit of trivia there is that director Abel Ferrara has a cameo in the film as a store owner. Um, but, you know, Banderas is on a complete roll. So, uh, fingers crossed, this should, uh, this should be a good little DTV. It looks very, looks like a two-hander, um, yeah. from what I can, uh, work out. Uh, and Piper Parabo is. I was about to say Piper Parabo. I haven't seen her for years. Holy from, cow. Um, covert affairs. So, yeah. She was in everything about 20 years ago. Right, yeah. Do you ever see Covert Affairs? Well, that was quite a good series. No, I've never seen that. Oh, it's, no, no. It's, it's worth checking out. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's sort of like um, it was on UK Living, I think. Yeah. But it, it's an interesting thing because you know she's a CIA field agent. I think it's about the mm. second series in. Yeah. They suddenly just accepted the fact that yeah, she she's an agent. She's supposed to be turning like other agents or something. Mm. So really, she's going to have to sleep with them. You know? Oh, really? Yeah. It's like it's it's the whole thing. Um, we reviewed the Kingsman film a while ago, mm. and you know, there's a scene in there where he has to sort of seduce this other woman. Yeah, um, and it's like, well, yeah, you know, what do you think Bond does half the time? This is this is basically, you know, it's it's that's his job. It's like mm. you know, putting people into sort of a vulnerable, intimate situation so he, so mm. he can sort of exploit it. But uh, yeah, it, it sort of face that sort of. Um, Elephant in the room, kind of thing, and sort of went, yeah, okay, that's that's that is part of the thing. Mm. Um, yeah, so anyway, that, that was Black Butterfly. Um, we'll have to sort of check that one out. Uh, and a Polish film, which I imagine Richard will be all over because he loves his Polish films. Uh, this is a horror film called Demon about a groom at his wedding who is possessed by a demon. Um, this looks kind of interesting, Re- really strange sort of scenario. Um, and a very strange cover as well. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I mean, it, it's released by the indie distributor Sharp Teeth Films, who haven't released anything in probably 18 months. I mean, that just goes to show you just how crazy tight things are for sales. Mm-hmm. Um, because they began with a really, really cool schedule of films that included things like You Are Not Alone, which is an amazing American indie horror film, and a superb uh Canadian indie called Septic Man, um, oh, yeah. and they, they were superb. They're both amazing, but they, they've gone quiet because people are not buying DVDs. Um, but this is a really bold 
return to the marketplace. Uh, so I'm really intrigued by this. Uh, can't wait to check it out. Yep, I totally agree. Uh, next is a, I believe this is a French film called Hostile. Um, this is about a young woman in a post-apocalyptic future who gets trapped when her car overturns and she has to spend the night stuck inside um, while strange zombie-like creatures stalk around the outside. Uh, this is an interesting one. It's one of those sort of films which is kind of like a puzzle where you have to sort of wait for the protagonist to try and sort of figure her way out of the situation. A bit like the first half of um, Downrange that we reviewed last time. Um, although a couple of weeks, about a month ago now. Um, so yeah, this this looks pretty decent. There's lots of flashbacks to sort of her life before the apocalypse or whatever happened. Um, and, you know, sort of how she became who she is now. So, yeah, I don't know. This, this could go either way, I think. Either it's going to be sort of navel-inducingly dull or it could be quite tense. Yeah, it, it, it's actually, uh, despite its um, origins as producers, I know the, one of the producers is our friend Xavier Gens, who we, reduced, oh, who yeah. we, we uh, reviewed Cold Skin, didn't we? Um, yeah. It's actually an English-language piece. Uh, I got into work a couple of days ago. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. But so far, the feedback has been pretty good. So, um, yeah, looking forward to this. Cool. Uh, moving on to one I think you're not looking forward to, and that's Northlander. Um, I, I still like the look of this. I've I, I got a feeling I've seen some of this already, um, mm. sort of a long time ago. But um, this is sort of one of those ones, It's it looks like it's set in the past, but might be actually set in the far future. Yeah, 2961. Um, there you go, 2961. Um, so yeah, I've got a feeling I I may have seen this and just forgotten about it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you, you you might have forgotten about it for a reason. To be honest, Mike, <laughs> I, I went to the supermarket to get my weekly stash uh, last Monday, and this was sat there on a shelf at a very uh, attractive price. And I looked at the cover and I thought, oh, this is the kind of cover that really rents. So mm. anyway, I, but, but, uh, I realise I'm going off on a tangent here, but I can't get a GPS signal in the DTV. In the in the in the DVD section of Asda, I mean, I've complained to the manager, but it's it's you know no 4G in the DVD section of Asda, so I have to move to the frozen food. So anyway, there I am in the frozen food section, frantically IMDb Northlander, because I want to know. I didn't realize this was coming out, so I'm like, come on, give me give me tell me what it's about. And the reviews of it are absolutely stinking. So um, and they are they're absolutely they're the most horrific. It's just a complete succession of one out of ten reviews. Um, so I would approach this with caution because although it looks a very attractive, cool, post-apocalyptic movie, uh, mm. apparently it's a truly massive clunker. So beware. <laughs> Moving on to a film called Priceless. Um, it says inspired by true stories. Not true events, true stories. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I, I I know nothing about this. I didn't get it in. It looks, uh, no. yeah, just doesn't doesn't really grab me, to be honest. Uh, this is about a guy who, you know, he gets out of prison. He's been inside for a bit for a bit of GBH or something. Um, ends up as a, a van driver, um, ferrying uh, illegal immigrants or human trafficking. Or something, you know, sort of unbeknownst to him, what's going on, and ends up sort of being attracted to one of the girls who's in the back of his van, 
and decides to try and help her. It's um, it is sort of one of those sort of lifetime movie kind of things, you know. Um, what's that? Uh, what's that card company called? Hallmark. You know, sort of Hallmark. It's, it, it comes across as one of those sort of Hallmark mm. sort of movie of the week kind of things. Um, yeah, it's not one I'm particularly interested in at all. No, although the, director, coming out this week, so. the director's name is Ben Smallbone, there, which mm. at least a uh, rape for innuendo of some kind. So, you know, there is that. Yeah. Um, also coming out this week is Red Army Hooligans. Also coming out this week is Storming <laughs> Juno. I mean, we're not going to waste our time on fucking that. Storming Juno is also coming out uh, this week. Um, this is a Canadian film. Um, came out in 2010 originally. Okay. Um, di- yeah, directed by a guy called Tim Wallachuk. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, this actually doesn't look too bad. It's it's it seems to have a decent CGI budget going for it. Um, they do make a sort of a bit of a thing. It's one of those films where soldiers are discussing statistics of things which haven't happened yet. So one one of them sort of going, oh, they say that only two out of five people is going to get off this beach alive. Mm-hmm. You know, really? Are they really going to tell you that? I don't think <laughs> so. That's something that somebody's going to work out later. You know, some mathematician's going to work that out way after the event has happened. You know, I don't think you're going to be thinking this just before you land on the beach. But there you go. Yeah, it's a Canadian TV movie, isn't it? Um, mm. Looks pretty decent. I mean, the last Canadian TV war movie I did in was a film called Passchendaele, which was absolutely That was a stunning movie. Um, but this, yeah, this looks this looks all right, to be honest. It's, it's a docudrama, though. It's a docudrama, so it is mm-hmm. interspersed with interviews with the real people. So, oh, so it's along those lines of that um, the Resistance one. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just beware if, if you're not looking for a, a, a full-on feature film. Just be aware that it is it does have documentary elements to it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and lastly, and possibly least, but lastly, is uh, the Lost Viking. Um, yeah, you can kind of imagine what this is about. That's right there in the title. Uh, the one thing about that might be worth renting this or watching it for is that it co-stars Rosso Hennessy. So I'm, I'm sure you're very familiar with Rosso Hennessy. I've never heard of him. You never? Oh, sorry, I forgot. I got haven't got Richard on the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, you haven't seen Accident Man yet, I take it. Yeah. Oh, you have seen it. Yeah. I reviewed it. Yeah. Yeah, the guy, the big bearded guy. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's Rosso Hennessy. Car- Carnage Cliff. I said Carnage Cliff. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Right. He's, right. He's, he's been in a few other bits and pieces as well. Um, so he, he's in there. Yes, yeah, it's about this sort of blonde Viking guy who gets lost. Uh, it's also got Vikings mixing it up with Romans. Mm. Okay, so not exactly historically accurate, I guess. But they, yeah, it's just it's a type of film that has like the cover alone sells it, but there's just nothing. There's nothing on the film at all. I mean, so so, I mean, you know, I can't go and buy films that. You just have have nothing written about them. You know, maybe maybe ten years ago I could have done that, but you know, it, it's a it's, it's a risky business. Even at uh, seven or eight quid, which is this is retailing for. But uh, I don't know. I mean, people love this kind of thing. I mean, I don't know if this is your forte. I don't know if you like um, 
a kind of medieval Viking orientated fair. I mean, it's, it's one of those. Some of it, I've, I've yeah. seen a lot. I have seen a lot. Of, I mean, this is, this is quite telling. The best ones I've seen mm. is North Northlander, a Viking tale. Oh, I, thought, yeah. I thought that was very good. Mm. Um, but it was more sort of comic booky than most, you know. Yes. Um, well, that and Centurion, you know, the um, the. Oh, of course, was. that was good. So, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, there, there there are some good ones out there, um, but there are a lot which. You know, I've I've turned off within the first five minutes, you know, because yeah. it looks like cosplay or you know they've gone on right. to one of these Renaissance fairs or something and just yeah. started recording. Um, so yeah, um, I don't know about this one. To be quite honest, I, th- I think the trailer maybe does it a disservice. Right? Maybe not. Um, it looks like there's a lot of action in it. Mm. There's a lot of talking as well. If you go by the trailer, um, this might be one I check out on my own at some point. Okay. Anyway, that is the washing up done. We're we're all clean and tidied away. Um, So thank you for joining me this week, Dave. I know we've had issues with audio and things, but... What what would a show without issues be? I know. I would like to find out. I would like to find out. It'd be Uh, 10 o'clock, it'd be 10 10 past 10 and we'd be bored. That's true. Yeah, we'd be all done and dusted. Um, but yeah, that's our show for this week. No idea what's going to be on the next show, um, but stay tuned to our Facebook page, the DTV Digest, and our Twitter account, even my Twitter account, which is Mike at West UK, and um, we shall sort of fill you in a bit closer to the time. So thanks for listening, and tune in again next time. Listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time.